back to the Doctor Who Flashcast. I am not Jason Snell, but I am sitting in for Jason Snell. This is Dan Morin, and I'm joined this week by Mr. David Sparks. Hi, David. Welcome. Hi, Dan. So glad to have you here. Oh, me too. And we're here to discuss uh, Season 9, Episode 6, The Woman Who Lived, which is the second of a two-part episode, which we began last week with uh, The Girl Who Died. Um, which Jason and I discussed and we talked a little bit. And, and so we pick up with the story of guest actor Maisie Williams as, well, that's a good question of exactly. She's me. Yeah, me. she's me. Aren't we all me? <laughs> Aren't we all me? So uh, let's just jump in and, and do sort of our, our recap. We, we open with a dark road on yeah. a, uh, in a carriage. And and kind of what I thought was a really great sort of fun scene, uh, the highway robbery, which establishes this sometime in sort of the 17th century, um, very, you know, rural England, sort of not quite a, a little later than like a Robin Hood or something like that. I mean, like a, I don't know, like a Scarlet Pimpernel or something. There's definitely, I feel like, kind of like a swashbuckling vibe in there. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You, you get these heist episodes to Doctor Who, and this isn't really a heist episode, but it's heisty. You know, there's several points where there's there's some theft or you know highway robbery going on yeah and, and in particular in this case it's kind of delightful because we intersperse um this the the nightmare as we learned this this robber is called who is attempting to relieve a couple of their of their belongings and in particular a specific amulet with the doctor who is wandering around in the woods following his little what does he call it a a curiometer or something like that yeah, or, it's the uh, it's the doctor who version of the tricorder yes exactly not <laughs> not like sonic this- maybe but it's like a steampunk tricorder. Yeah, I like it. It's got like it's got some lights on it, um, and <laughs> and there's some really funny dialogue as the doctor's ignoring them, and he says, "I'm sorry, what were you saying? I was ignoring you." <laughs> yeah, I was try- I'm trying really hard to listen this time, but <laughs> then he, I, so I'm sorry, I wasn't listening I, again. <laughs> Usually, someone hits me about now. <laughs> yeah, but she, oh, we, yeah. So we learn our first bit of this week, which is to to set apart from some of our previous adventures. Clara is nowhere to be seen this week. Well, that's not entirely true. She she appears a little bit later, but she is not in the main thrust of the adventure. Instead, we have one of these. Uh, it seems like about every season we get uh, an opportunity for the Doctor to get paired up with. Someone else uh, in the past. I'm thinking in the Matt Smith years, we had a couple episodes, and and now I'm going to totally blank on his name. Um, but uh, James, um, oh, he's to the who took over the late night slot there. Um, who oh, yeah. played? Um, uh, yeah, I, me too. Yeah, James, James Corden, uh, who uh, Corden. yes, who we we saw a couple times with the Matt Smith Doctor. Um, and so, and several of the other doctors have had opportunities where they sort of have these one-off companion episodes. Um, and so that's one kind of weird thing is, you know, I read going into the season, this was going to be the adventures of Clara and the doctor. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we're supposed to say that, you know, there has been some talk about Clara's fate. So I don't know yeah. if I should say that or not. But no, the, I uh, mean, we could certainly, I mean, it, it yeah. I think it's, some of that is known from purely sort of the mechanical standpoint of the actors and their contracts on the show and what have you, but it has also been hinted at heavily. And I think one of the things, at least when I talked to Jason last week, I felt like death has been a huge theme this season. And it's always a little bit of a theme in Doctor Who, but in particular, I feel like every episode has touched upon it in some fashion. And this episode certainly does not yeah. depart from that. And, but the thing is, you know, this is supposed to be Clara and the doctor's big adventure, you know, excellent adventure. And it seems like every episode, there is another character kind of between them. Mm-hmm. I mean, Missy was so pivotal to the first two episodes and, 
I don't know. It just it just feels to me like Clara really. They, I haven't seen the big excellent adventure yet. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And this this does feel like it's kind of a digression in some ways, right? And and after last week, it's interesting that they chose to pair these two in direct succession too. And maybe that had to do more with sort of the the filming and needing Maisie Williams for both of these episodes. But in some ways, it felt like they could have gone gone back to the Doctor and Clara doing having their own adventures and then revisited this character later on in the season, it might've had in some ways more impact there, but it's very interesting to get the, the sort of back to back perspective too. I felt. Yeah. And I think that, and maybe I'm being dense here, but it feels to me like the Maisie Williams uh, thing. And I don't, you know, to jump to the end, I, I think it's going to be the, uh, the big arching plot this year. It does seem like there is a, uh, it's heavily implied that it is not concluded at the end of this episode, but yeah. let's, uh, let's jump back to the plot. We revealed that the, the nightmare, uh, the, the robber in question is in fact, uh, a Shilda who is no longer going by a Shilda who is now simply, is it, I thought it was a Shilder. A a Shilder, Shilder. Sorry, a Shilder. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Viking girl who was made immortal at the end of last week's episode, um, is no long is now going by me because I think as we're supposed to believe that's now all that she really cares about. Yeah. She, I mean, all the doctor, I mean, this was not a surprise, right? At the right. end of the last episode, he says, you know, I have not done her favor and everybody she knows, you know, it was immortality means watching everyone, you know, die. So yeah, she has, you know, disconnected herself from, from people. Right. And, but you know, before she gets into that, wasn't the voice thing weird? Yes, yeah, so she's got like a disguised voice uh, because I mean it's interesting too because Maisie William is fairly small of stature, um, yeah. and obviously she's supposed to be a young woman, um, and she's sort of been frozen at that point. And so there is an interesting portrayal here of you know she's trying to pass herself off as something else, and so when she has her little you know hank- little banded handkerchief up, she sounds she's got this really deep voice, which she yeah. she sort of claims that it's just something she's doing. It's obvious it is a little weird because it's obviously done in the show itself. It is obviously done as like a post production effect. Yeah, and yet I think we're supposed to believe that she has just learned how to lower her voice to sound I, more. I almost felt like that there was going to be some kind of explanation for that later, yeah, but there yeah. never was. Yeah. No, there wasn't anything about that. Um, and I, but I think I, you know, not to to go too much into her overall character, but I feel like I I I was super impressed with her work here. I thought she was oh, good yeah. last week, but I thought this week she was tremendous. Yeah, because she had so much. She had she was an eight hundred year old you know, young woman. And, and she had to like portray that. And, and as an eight, you know, she's an 18 year old actress. I, I looked up cause I was curious to see because they do a lot of things to make her because she's been frozen as sort of at this age. I feel yeah. like last week they spent a lot of time making her look very young and very innocent. And this week she looks much more mature and refined. And, and as you said, she's been through so many, so many more years now. She's sort of learned how to play the game and appear in a different way, but she is, they do make her up quite, quite a bit here to look, older and more uh distinguished and it's it's an inch and, and she holds her own against the doctor i think which is my favorite bit about her, their relationship this week yeah and then so then they take they take a trip to her house her mansion yes we we sat in lonely mansion we learned two important things beforehand one of which is that she has a brief moment where they uh the people she is robbing ask about her being alone and she says what makes you think i'm alone and we see some glowing eyes in the bushes which I thought maybe it was a Jawa, could have been yeah. a Jawa. 
Probably These not, are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> and we learn that she is looking for something a, in particular, an amulet that we believe to be... Uh, it's sort of pretty obvious from very early on that the Doctor seems to also be looking for the same thing. Um, yeah. So as you say, we go, we go back to their house, and we sort of uncover a lot about what's happened to her in the last, I think we, she says, 800 years uh, that she's yeah. been alive. So we learn that she has done a lot of things. Kind of, I felt like they drew some interesting parallels here, right, to the doctor. Like, we, we learn about several of her adventures. Yeah. And I thought they did that really well. I mean, they they talked about how she was a queen and how she was in a battle and... I forget what the she she hears an entire village of the oh, Scarlet right. Plague and they try to drown her as a witch. Yes, uh, and, uh, and it doesn't take because she's learned how to hold her breath very well, which I thought was an interesting point because you know she is. So we know, sort of technically speaking, that she's immortal and that barring I think they said this at the end of last week too, barring any sort of accidents, you know, she will keep living. So she's not she can she can be killed, um, but she's not just going to die of old age. Yeah, and that's kind of funny because the way she deals with that is she reads Malcolm Gladwell's book. (laughs) She she mentions in the show, anything you spend 10,000 hours on, you can become an expert. And if you spend 100,000 hours, you become the best at it in the world. And apparently she's very... She she has a lot of time. And she's very able to defend herself. uh, Yeah, no, absolutely. And And I think what's interesting about this, and this parallel is drawn a little more sharply as we go on through the episode, is that... The doctor, you know, is himself sort of functionally immortal, which we talked about a, a little bit last week. But he has the luxury of going, getting to do everything out of order. Yeah. Whereas uh, a Shilder has been stuck here, you know, day in, day out, living, I think, as she points out, every hour, every minute, every day uh, yeah. in, in order. And that's that's taken a heavy toll on her. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because she, the whole... The drive of her from the very first time she sees him. Oh, you came to take me, right? And he's like, right. "Well, no accident. I just actually bumped into you." And um, she really wants to. She wants to move on. She wants to go somewhere else with the doctor. She wants to do something else. And um, he he refuses vehemently. Really, the whole episode, and it's not clear to me until the very end why. And I guess we'll save that part. But yeah, but at the but in the house, um, it's coming out how dark or how disconnected she's become. And, and they have a really nice scene. So she's got these diaries and she can't remember things that go back far. In fact, there's a line, I don't remember the exact line, but something like my body's immortal, but my mind is not, or something along those lines. Well, she, she has some, my, uh, what use is like a life infinite when your memory is finite or something, something to yeah. that effect. Yeah. And, um, and so the doctor gets to read these diaries and like, she lost her babies in the plague and, um, and then she says, I'm not going to have no more babies. And she makes a statement to the doctor. I thought this was one of the best lines in the movie. Or, I'm sorry, in the, in the show. <laughs> uh, these All these people are like smoke. Yeah. You know? Then I think she even says, um, how many Claras have you lost or something? Like right. That. Yeah, and, there is a bit of, and I think that might come a little bit later. But yes, there is a, exactly sort of the same thing where he, you know, even with his companions – even if they leave or die in the end, in some ways he's free to always sort of go back, right? Like, because he can move through time where she is sort of destined or fated to live time in one direction and at one speed, which means she really does end up, as he predicted last week, watching everybody, 
die around her. And so we have these diaries. We have, there are some pages that are torn out, um, which is somewhat off-putting. And, and we learn that she's been, she's, she's just kind of bored, right? Like that's part of it is that, you know, she's yeah. taken to robbing people for the adventure and the excitement. She doesn't need the money. Um, and in the end, it's it's really just about sort of the thrill of it, and because she needs something to do, she needs some sort of challenge. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that one point actually before this, uh, the doctor mentions that the last time I saw you, you were at a um, a leper colony, mm-hmm. and, and so so the doctor must be keeping some kind of eye on her, right? And that just shows that the doctor can do that. He can he can move forward and backward, and he can where she. He spent time at a leper colony and all the suffering she and, must have seen. Right. And he says, she says something like, you didn't, why didn't you take me from there? And he says, oh, it seemed like you were doing fine. And she's like, in a leper yeah. colony? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and that's, that's again, we sort of learn that she, this is our first hint that she's also, that, that, that relationship is, is goes two ways, right? Because yeah. she has always remembered him. Like from the very first scene that we get him, she says something about, you know, you know, it's, oh, here you are again, doctor, or something, you know. And yeah. and then she says, you always, that's what you do, though. You always leave. And he yeah. seems kind of suspicious. Who who told you that, right? Like, he, because yeah. she only, as far as she knows, or, you know, it's from his belief of her, he thinks she's only seen him once the first time they met, right? Yeah. So it's, he's now suspicious that there is something else at play there. Um, so... But- but yes, then she recruits him for a heist. Yes, we have our we have our our heist moment here, which is to say they want to go find this amulet they have been looking for, uh, and so they break into the house of the uh, person, the young woman who who has been talking about having this beautiful amulet that seems unearthly or something, uh, and we we get a very a fun scene where they. Uh, try all sorts of things, and and uh, Ashilda shows that she's sort of the equal of the doctor, right? He wants to sonic open the door, and she, you know, basically uses her her thief tricks to break in, yeah. and then he he lights the candle with the sonic sunglasses, and yeah, and, uh, and the sonic sunglasses are back. They are back, thank God. Yeah, I was thinking that maybe last week we saw the end of them. When the you know, I I am anti sunglasses. Yeah, I I prefer. I miss the sonic screwdriver, frankly, but. Yeah, uh, and, I, and, and it's great because he puts them on to wear them in the dark. Yeah, I do enjoy his whole bit where he's just wandering around in this darkened mansion with sunglasses on. It is kind of fun because at one point I think she says he needs a mask, right? Yeah. And he's like, oh, I've got these. These are great. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, the the whole – I had to say one thing because I, I, I listened to uh, you and Jason's episode last week. And mm-hmm. the thing that stood out for me, kind of as an overarching thing, it seems to me like – there's like a Monty Python element to this whole um, uh, two-part series. You know, I mean, the like when when the god appeared in the clouds, it reminded mm, me mm-hmm. of that Monty Python scene where they did the same thing. It was kind of the similar. And like the jokes and the English gallows humor and all the stuff yeah. going on. And even like, you know, where the rich guy wakes up and he says, where's my blunderbuss? And yeah. I, I, I don't know. Just the whole thing felt to me like there was this back-channel Monty Python Thing going on i can totally see that there's a there's a, there is an absurdist humor i was thinking of the part where they're sort of crawling around the couch with the 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 sleeping guy that they've woken up that is very farcical you yeah. know with people running in and out of doors and in and out of bedrooms in the middle of the night there's an intruder in the house you're right i think it does have that absurdist uh streak of humor running through it which is fun i think it works here yeah 
Yeah, um, it was. And it was kind of nice offsetting because in a lot of ways, this was a really heavy episode. Mm, absolutely. And they, they do a good job of going back and forth between sort of with the tone here and being light and amusing uh, and also sort of getting a little weightier. Yeah. Um, so we uncover the what they uh, the jewel here, which the, he the doctor describes as the eyes of Hades, yeah. which is not at all not at all an, an portentous name. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure you want to put that one in your pocket. I don't think that that is a thing you should be carrying around with you. Um, and what we sort of begin to suss out here is that the eyes of Hades has beyond just being a beautiful gem is of course. Uh, a form of alien technology. Uh, yeah. And a shielder has sort of made a deal with this fellow who has appeared, who we saw the, gl- he of the glowing eyes. Yeah. Um, and we, we got an earlier scene. We got briefly a scene where she goes out into the garden and talks to him and says, don't worry. My, I have a visitor here, but he is, he doesn't know anything about you and he can help us with this plan. So we yeah, know we that, missed that when they first go back yeah. to the mansion, we get the first, Reference to the monster, to the obligatory monster. Monster of the week. Yeah. Um, and so, and he looks kind of, he does look kind of Thundercats-ish is what I thought. Yeah, I, I, w- I was thinking like an angry, cowardly lion. Yes, my, my viewing companion also described it as a cowardly lion. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, we, we learn that he is a, um, I'm trying to remember what, his name is Leandro, but I forget what his, uh, he's from Delta, I've forgotten the name of the planet, um, but he's a cat alien. I was just thinking, you know, it's weird how many cat people there are out there. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Do we have the nurses, right, from from yeah. way back when? Um, and so he's basically... Oh, you know, and I was just thinking the nurses... Well, do you know the, the theory of, of, um, of what happened to Captain Jack? The, what, the, the face of... Yeah. The, yes, and he's taking care of him at the end of his life. Indeed, which is which is also comes up this week a little bit later. But Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's know, an interesting... Yeah, we'll, we'll put that in the Conspiracy Theory Journal. Yeah. Um, so we determined that basically, you know, a shoulder has given up on waiting for the doctor to come and take her off to experience someplace else the rest of the universe. Yeah. And instead has struck a deal with this fellow, which I don't think that they even get into really where he came from. Um, other than uh, he is the last survivor, crashed. right? Like, yeah. but she yeah. she has stumbled upon him in some way or other, right? And she's just so desperate to get to change something up, she'll do anything, right? And so, and basically, tells the doctor, "I got a better offer." Yeah, you know, you're not going to help me. So, and the doctor is, of course, very suspicious of this, realizing, well, you didn't want to tell me, so there must be something about this that I'm not going to like. What yeah. exactly is your plan? And she kind of dances around it for a while, and then eventually reveals. That in order for this to work, somebody has to die. Yeah. Uh, and they, and this is where we see, I think, very the, the first interesting sort of uh, peel back a layer of her of a Schiller's character here, um, which is to say, you know, at one point they suggest using um, her manservant, um, who who's you know well, that, half that's blind. Her that's her yeah. plan. But also yeah. the. I, I think Leandro tries to suggest that perhaps they should use the doctor, and she is very sharpishly saying, no, we're not using him. He, yeah. That's not part of the plan. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's compassion there, though, and I think that's, that's where we start to see the first hint of good. Even though she has claimed that she doesn't care much for any, anybody else, and, and this is sort of embodied in the whole idea that she goes by Lady Me now is that she's only concerned with herself. And I feel like this is interesting because that's sort of the first crack where we get the idea that maybe that's not true. And we, we skipped one part. Um, when they leave the heist, 
they run into was it Sam the Quick? Oh yes, Sam, Sam Swift. Sam yeah. Swift the Quick, <laughs> trying a bit hard, as the doctor says. Yeah, and and that's in fact that's another Monty Python moment. It's incredibly down. No more. What is it? No more banter. Well, he has no a more... bit about pun. No puns. I draw the line at puns because <laughs> yeah. they're they're going back and forth and quipping, which is great. Great scene. But then at one point, um, you know, Shilder's got her boot on his neck and is ready to to kill him, mm. and mm. says, "What's it matter? It's just one more life." And he says, "You'll make an enemy of me." I mean, at that point, I'm thinking, "Wow, she's really gone down." I mean, she's really fallen far. But then the then we get into that next scene just a few minutes later where exactly she shows some compassion. Well, and I thought the scene with the outlaws was pretty great. If one, on one hand, it reminds me quite a bit of um, it's, it's almost Robin Hoodish, right? Yeah, uh, it's got that whole merry men, the outlaws in the forest and they're they're having this dispute. And I really enjoy that scene, not only from the the puns and the wordplay. But I also enjoy the back and forth of the who's on top in the fight sort of. Yeah. Um, the yeah. change reversal of fortunes. And now that you said this something I didn't think about in that episode, but when she says, you'll make an enemy of me, you know, her name is me also, right? So there's yeah. a there's sort of a double meaning <laughs> yeah, in that yeah, one I too. That. I didn't either. Not until you yeah. just said it right now. But I now that I think about that, I think that's very interesting that he's – it's in some way also pointing out that she'll compromise her own character if she really decides to go down that route. Yeah. Uh, and we kind of get the impression that as – as I mean, at some point he asks, doesn't he ask, how many lives have you taken? And she kind of dodges the question. Yeah. And so I wonder at this point if maybe she hasn't actually crossed that line yet. I mean, she is in a battle and stuff like that, but not like in sort of a cold-blooded murder fashion. Yeah. Um, Although she was ready to start shooting when they were in their heist as well. Mm-hmm. So She seemed very enthusiastic about that, and yet – we don't quite see her get to that point in this part in the episode, and perhaps that suggests there's there is still a little bit of that humanity in her. Yeah. So anyway, going back forward to uh, when the big kitty cat and and the shoulder confront the doctor, then suddenly uh, constables show up, which you know was another very, sort of Monty Pythonish moment. Now that, that you've brought that yeah, thread to my mind, the and the, the, <laughs> he seems kind of startled. And they also can, they remind me, you know, now you mentioned it, they reminded me of the two guards from the bit in the Monty Python, the Holy Grail, where he tries to get them to guard the door um, where his son is, yeah. and they keep like getting confused about the oh no no we're coming with you you know they come that they like, just keep getting confused about the orders i i there thought that was something weird this, this but i python angle i, I, I think you figured something out i think you've twigged to something there um and of course you know she's got the doctor tied up to a chair and she's just she's she, again she tells them you know she learns that that sam swift is going to be hanged and decides oh this is the perfect opportunity to you Harness someone who's a guilty criminal is going to die anyways. Yeah. Um, and they, he's now at this point also been, uh, you know, identified as uh, an associate of the nightmare. Yeah. The and they, I love they have a poster of him already, and it's just a silhouette <laughs> of him. It's like, what could you tell from that? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, and so they, but they want to, they suggest maybe he should be hanged too. And again, she is very quick to say, no, you just keep him here under lock and key. Yeah, um, and I also yeah. love the bit where they off they say, "Oh, there's a there's a reward that's on your head. It's twenty pounds. Twenty pounds is that all? Well, it's a small fortune. Oh, so why didn't you say so?" Yeah. Um, and so he instead buys them off. 
Yeah, that 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 part got me. I I didn't see that coming. I th- like, I was very amused by the oh I can tell there's must be at least thirty pounds in there. <laughs> <laughs> like how's he gonna get out of this? Oh, he's just gonna give him money. Okay, appeal oh, to their you know, baser instincts. Yeah, and then we get even more Monty Python laniness as the doctor is galloping away towards the uh, for a while and against the same scenery for a while <laughs> they really trying to amp up the tension here and so they kept cutting back to him galloping on the horse and i kept thinking god that road is long <laughs> yeah well it's i, I froze it it's, it's eight miles yeah he's at eight it's miles wow miles. yeah but i think it's just one shot of peter capaldi on a horse for, yeah, no. you gotta hey, save your were, butt. you know it was almost lunchtime if hey and if there's anything we learned from our game of thrones podcast is horses are expensive <laughs> yeah um, and meanwhile, Sam Swift is just killing it at the, uh, I, the old gallows. Yeah, he is he is slaying him. Um, I really enjoyed that scene, even though I didn't quite. It took me a minute to sort of figure out what was going on. And essentially, he's determined that he's he's sort of just you know joking with the crowd, yeah, and trying to keep himself alive by like the longer he's making jokes and that they're laughing at his jokes, yeah, he can't. He's, up. Right, exactly. They they won't get the hang. They the hangman won't get his due. They'll say he was well hung. <laughs> In one of the more scandalous jokes. Um, and I know, was it something about, I like the bit where he says the, uh, he's talking to Hangman and it was raining on the way over. And the Hangman says, what do you complain about? I got to walk home in this. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, Monty Python. I mean, it, very I much so. just, just the whole thing. I, maybe it's just because to me, anytime you see a period piece where there's zaniness, yeah, that's Monty Python. But it does all seem very anachronistic, right? Like that's the big yeah. thing that, that makes it, you know, sort of hearken to that is the idea that it, this does not, you know, not that Doctor Who was ever particularly slavishly dedicated to historical accuracy, yeah. but yeah. it does seem particularly wacky in this locale. Um, but I, I enjoy it. The jokes are funny. I like how he. I really enjoy sort of Sam Swift. I thought that was a he was an interesting character. Um, yeah, me too. And he becomes more interesting as it goes along, and it becomes how clear he doesn't he doesn't want to die. Yeah, um, and and it's interesting that we hadn't mentioned that, that there's just one mention in the show, you know, the magic pill or forehead absorption absorption pill, whatever. The doctor says at one point, you know, from the previous episode, he had given her one. Mm-hmm. Well, where is it? Well, it's like sewn into her clothing, and she's. I think she says something that nobody thought anybody worth it. Yeah, nobody's good enough. And um. And so that that is hanging over. You know that's going to matter at some point. I thought that was a nice point too because it's also – it once again reinforces the idea that she is – she kind of considers herself above everyone else, right? Yeah. And that's sort of the problem here is the doctor – the doctor knows he has some advantages on people but he also values them for what they are. This is – almost a dark reflection of what he could have been instead. And we've seen hints of that in the past. And Jason and I mentioned that a little bit last week, I think talking about like, you know, a time Lord victorious and David Tennant run where he just, the, the hubris is always the sort of the key weakness of the doctor. Yeah. Um, and in this case, I think he knew how much of a burden he was putting on her, even though he wasn't. And that's probably goes back to your point about her, like seeing her in the leper colleagues. Like he kind of knows this was a risk. And so he's checking in. Yeah. And and I uh, you know he as he said later he really sees his own crises mm. in in her yeah and so we, but, we go ahead sorry but I mean so but we get back to the the hanging yes know. and as Shilder shows up and tries to sort of speed things along yeah. uh, and then the doctor shows up and starts they they in, against his better nature starts punning and bantering with Sam Swift <laughs> trying to keep him alive a little longer 
Um, even though he's against puns. Even though he's against puns. And then eventually pulls out the psychic paper, which didn't work so well on the militiamen before, but this time works to prove as a uh, a, uh, a pardon for Sam Swift. From from, uh, from Cromwell himself, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he's like, and then the, the, the executioner goes, oh, okay, well, everybody, he's pardoned. And everybody goes, oh, and then they let him go. And that's... And- but then instead they determine they still want a hanging, so they try to go for the doctor next. Yeah. Um, but a shoulder sort of intervenes and says, you want to see somebody die? And she slaps the eyes of Hades on uh, poor Mr. Sam Swift, yeah. which begins to open a portal in the sky. And she thinks she's getting out. But it turns out, of course, that she has been double-crossed. If she only had watched the Avengers movie, she would have <laughs> Portals in the sky are never good. Yeah. Anyone could know that. Come on. Um, and Leandro has his own ulterior motivation, which is essentially uh, an invasion fleet uh, yeah. of his own people. Um, and so we start seeing the whole area bombarded, and Ashilder starts to have some second thoughts. Yeah, she she falls off the wagon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a, a particularly lovely turn of phrase from the doctor there about caring yeah. about people. And you and think I think you don't care, then you fall off. Yeah. The wagon. And, and again, I think your your point as well is the doctor sees himself reflected in that. Yeah. Uh, that is something that he has had to deal with is that he he's even especially in this incarnation who seems to, you know, spend so much time ignoring people and talking about how he's so much smarter than everyone else. And Carrying really his index cards. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I do love that bit. Um you know, I, I enjoy that he, this is something he is struggling with in his current incarnation is relating to people. Uh, and he could easily see himself falling into that trap of believing that people are just smoke. But that is kind of what keeps him grounded. Um, and so but, he... And I do like the way they turn this. He, like, I'm sure he knows in his head what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. But he lets her figure it out. Right. Yes. We determine that... As everybody's sort of running around and screaming because of all the bombardment from the Leandro's friends' ships, um, they determine, well, the portal's been opened by death, and, and it can only be closed if that process was reversed. And Leandro scoffs, no one can reverse death. Aha! But we have our MacGuffin. So she immortalizes Mr. Swift, which, yeah. which does close the portal. And co- coincidentally and conveniently... Also serves to have Leandro say, "No, no, they now they will be really angry at me." And he's just and then, basically, and then he he's vaporized. Yeah. <laughs> well, he wasn't that important to this. I week really anyways. would not want to work for those guys. They seemed like they are not. That's not a good. You check your contracts. Yeah, yeah, that's important. Um, and I thought that was, uh, a, I mean, again, the monster of the week thing is such always such a pretense to discuss sort of the more interesting. Uh, aspects of story that are going on in the doctor's life here. So I did not think Leander, I thought as monsters go, he was fine. He doesn't, he's not particularly necessary. He's, he's a function for the plot more than anything else. And, and he was in the way of, to me, the highlight of this Mm. episode was the excellent dialogue. Yes. uh, Between a and the doctor. And it happened two or three times where they just talked and yes, they're going, she's explaining her view on life, and you're looking in his eyes and thinking, how much does he agree? And, oh, yeah, that, you know, I I am so glad they didn't turn it into a big monster thing where we had to run in hallways and things because I, I wanted as much of that dialogue as they would give us. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I thought that this was a, a very well-written episode uh, and anchored by two fantastic performances from Peter Capaldi and Maisie Williams. And in particular, I agree that last scene where they're sort of sitting at the bar and they're discussing 
um, you know, sort of the, the sort of breakdown, the denouement as they figure out, you know, what exactly happened. And we learn a lot about, you know, she still she realizes he's still not going to take her with him when she when he goes. And we get to sort of this fundamental issue of, you know, how do you deal with the fact that all these people around you keep dying and how do you sort of treat normal people? Uh, and, and the doctor talks about when he first saw her, how he saw the despair in her eyes. And I forget the exact words he used, but the one thing he said I wrote down, he says, the last thing we need is each other. Like these yeah. two people who are getting pulled into this, this despair. And it's almost like they have to have, you know, mortal, or at least he needs to have a mortal person around him. Right. To remind your him. question last week, you said, you know, why didn't the doctor just give one of these to one of his companions? And I guess you know, that's the last thing he needs. Exactly. And I think that's a perfect, you know, sort of answer to that question that was left hanging was, you know, he needs to be reminded that, you know, he points to, to Sam Swift and says, look, look how happy he is to be alive and how he is relishing every minute of his life. And that is what is important is you can see in that the joy and all of the other emotion of being alive. And it's not something that he in his years of travel or a uh, there in her years of studying all these various things and living out every minute, neither of them is really able to bring that. So the two of them together would simply both reinforce each other in some way. Yeah. And it's interesting uh, with Sam, what they, you can see the producers and writers, they just want to keep their options open with him. So they're like, yeah, he might live forever or he might die. I, I, I enjoy that he explains, oh, there's probably just enough energy in that to close the port. Did you just make that up? Oh, yes, completely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and actually, in addition to kind of exposing the doctor's reason why he can't take her with him because of this, this you know, the, thing, the last thing we need is each other, you also get some kind of meta doctor who stuff going on. They reference Jack Harkness. Yes. Mm-hmm. And... And in fact, I think he says at one point you'll bump into him him at some point or another, and um, right. and and uh, then she um, Maisie Williams' character, me or whatever she's going to be calling herself, takes on a, her own job. I mean, the doctor's saying, "Well, I'll be keeping an eye on you," and she says, "Well, I'll be watching out for you." Which and I love that. Well, and this is and this is where I think we get to really the fascinating crux of this and why I think you believe that there's there's more to come perhaps with her character is she takes on this mantle of, well, you always leave. So someone has to take care of all the people that you leave behind. Yeah. Uh and I thought that was a particularly a particularly nice bit where, you know, acknowledging I think one of the fundamental problems of the doctor is he pops into people's life. And then he does a bunch of stuff and sort of upends it, and then he leaves again. Yeah, uh, it's like, it's like the episode when they were underwater a few weeks ago. Yeah, know? yeah, exactly. And okay, we're done. I'm out. And it's like, yeah. well, we don't ever stop to really think about the consequences of that. And so Maisie Williams, since she has to live through this the whole time, you yeah. know, she's sort of taking it upon herself to keep an eye on all the people whose lives he has touched and to make sure. I think that they they aren't they don't end up worse off than when the before the doctor found them, yeah. um, and we get one particularly r- line that I really liked a lot, which is um, where, where a Silder says, "Enemies are never a problem; it's your friends you have to watch out for." Yeah, that was nice. So I enjoyed. And you that. know, as an overarching uh, plot, if that is, 
I'm interested in that. I, I'm kind of tired of the super end of the world things mm-hmm. that we've had the last couple seasons. So if this is a little less, um, you know, aggressive or a little less, you know, huge in scope, I would be okay with that. And I, I agree with you completely. And it's one of the things I loved the most about last week's episode was that it made this problem feel very personal because yeah. you dealt with this particular small village. It was a very confined episode and it, it had an effect because it was sort of something very relatable, right? It wasn't the huge set piece drama end of the universe because uh, you can only top that so many times. Um, and so again, here we're delving into sort of the doctor as a character. And I think that's one of the most fascinating parts. That's why we all tune in is to see the doctor and, and who he is and the adventures that he has. And then he returns to the TARDIS. He does. And we get, um, he's, he's playing a lonely electric yeah. guitar <laughs> solo. The, yeah. The obligatory ninth season guitar. Well, Peter, yeah. Peter Capaldi, I believe is a guitarist himself. Right. So this is My- just his chance to like fiddle around with that. <laughs> My wife was telling me, I don't know if it's true enough, that he was in the band with Craig Ferguson. I believe that is true. I have wow. heard that as well. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so I guess he's uh, he's been enjoying his chance to be like, well, I can play the electric guitar. Let's just throw that in. Yeah, I just like that's That's not how he soothes his, um, his conscience. He sits down and plays a nice, you know, power ballad. Not Beethoven this week, though. I think we saw that a couple weeks ago. And, um, and then and then we get Clara. Back. And then Clara appears for her her brief appearance at the end of this episode, and we get a very interesting. Uh, it's not so much about Clara right now. You, you know, she pops in to say, "Where are we going?" He says, oh, "Wherever you want to go," and she wants to go someplace magical. And says, "By the way, you remember that that student of mine that you helped out was it was like a book report? It wasn't a book report. Something about like Winston Churchill or something. I don't yeah, remember." Yeah. Um, and he's like, "Oh, she sent you a, a present." And he's sort of suspicious at first, and then she reveals the present is just a selfie. Yeah. Note for people out there, that's kind of a terrible present. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the selfie contains something particularly interesting he sees in the background, which is our old friend, me, or (laughs) Asildur, sitting in the background, staring at the camera. Photobombing the doctor. Photobombing. Yes, photobombing the Clara student here. Um, Yeah. and it, and it comes right out, and like very shortly after, Clara says something to the line where I'm not going. I'm anywhere. not going anywhere. Yes. So yeah. once again, I think this is not the first sort of very on the nose line that we've gotten about her. Uh, you know, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be around for a while. Yeah. Uh, lots of foreshadowing there, but it is interesting. I feel like establishing that character. I don't think they have to go back to her right now, um, but it is not interesting to have her sort of floating around there in the background as this this figure who is out there dealing with the Doctor's fallout. Like Doc- Peter Capaldi's River Song. Precisely, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think that's it's, it's an interesting thread that we can come back to. I don't know if we will, but it's, it's yet another one that, we've, that, that Stephen Moffat has sort of thrown into the works this season. Yeah. So... I am very, I'm very interested in that. Um, I, I really enjoyed these last two episodes. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. These have been my favorite of the season, and I know last week I complained about some of the very early episodes. I felt they were a little bit on the grim side. This seemed to me to get much more into the groove of what I like from Doctor Who episodes, which are things that are fun and adventure, but also have that little bit of, little bit of a hook at the end there. Yeah, to me, the, the big thing about this was the combination of just this great dialogue between the two primary characters with all this kind of slapsticky, funny, like just, you know, 
wouldn't funny stuff happen if you, you know, drop Dan and Dave into you know, <laughs> the century England? I mean, we would just, just naturally end up getting like hung as witches or something. Probably <laughs> true. Especially if we brought our like iPhones back with us. That yeah, would not exactly. be good. <laughs> and it's like, you, you've got to have a certain degree of that. And it, it just really made it good. I, I looked up the writer afterwards, Catherine Tregana. Mm-hmm. And she um, has written for Torchwood. With, including episodes involving Captain Jack. So she's used to immortal people. Mm, mm-hmm. And um, I I think, you know, props to her. Um, one of the the websites I looked up said that she was only one of two. Yes, I female. saw that. Um, Last one being Helen Rayner, who wrote The Centauran Stratagem and The Poison Sky way back in 2008. And I got to say, I was a little um, nervous when I realized that you had two different authors writing these two episodes that were supposed to be a two-parter. It's kind of weird that you wouldn't have the same person doing both parts. And who was the author of last week's episode? Uh, we, I thought Stephen Moffat co-wrote it. Yeah, um, but the, um, it, it was the, um, the author that was, Jason Snell met the guy. And uh, he's the one who did the Orient Express episode last season, which right. was one of my yes. favorites. I um, enjoyed that one quite a bit, as I think we both did. Some, um, somewhere Jason is pounding a dashboard, <laughs> screaming out the name. But... Um, Either uh, way, the, it was uh, the, uh, Toby. No, sorry, Jamie Matheson. Jamie Matheson. Yes, yes. And so I was thinking, well, I want more from Jamie Matheson. I, you know, the first episode was good. I'd like him to finish this two-parter. But you know what? I really like what Catherine Tregana did. So I agree again. Somebody yes, knows. because even though these are, it is a two-parter, and we are connected by this central character. They're very different episodes. Uh, yeah. And I think it was okay to have different voices in them because they gave us very different perspectives on this character. Uh, yeah. And and that's important because we do need to see how she evolves from one place to another. And and once again, I know I've said it a couple times already, but I say it again. I've, I've enjoyed Maisie Williams on Game of Thrones. I think she is fantastic as Arya Stark. She's one of my favorite characters on that show. Uh, yeah. And here is really nice to see her get a chance to sort of do something totally different. Uh, and she is she is fantastic. I, I thought she did a tremendous job of harnessing all these different versions of this character, from the innocent Viking young woman to the highway robberman to the elegant lady to the sort of you know foil for the doctor, uh, and even to she she manages to harness those the sadness and the yeah. you know the the sharp wittedness and all of that. And she does it all with a plum. It's really, she is just amazing. I was, I was taken aback. She's as old as Yoda. I mean, yeah, yeah. And she conveys that it's, it's fantastic. She does a great job of that, which is, which is not, I feel like at the, at the age of 18, that's a tough, that's a tall order. Yeah. And she delivers. I'm totally invested in her character and I, I want to see more from her. And yeah, I have to admit like you, I'm a fan of, of the Game of Thrones as well. A couple times during the episode, it wasn't her acting as much as just being so invested in Arya that like at one point she comes down in a very nice dress and she's wearing lipstick and her hair is done. I'm like, wait, Arya would never do that. You know? (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is hard to separate that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, but anyway, yeah, it was a great episode. I'm really glad I got to do this one. Yeah. I'm glad, certainly glad to have you on. Any, Any last thoughts? Uh, uh, Next week, we saw the preview, uh, Zygons. Zygons, everywhere, uh, as far as the eye can see. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I, I'm not doing that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, it remains I to be like seen. I feel like I got a gym. 
Yeah, it remains to be seen. I feel like so far these two have definitely been the highlight of my season. I'm I'm hoping for a little bit more along these lines, but I guess we shall see. Um, next week, I think, does begin another two-parter. This has been the season of two-parters. Um, you, know what, so, you know what this kind of reminded me, Dan, is um, the doc, was it the doctor's wife where the TARDIS... Um, yes, that's the and, Neil Gaiman episode. Yeah, and it was the same thing. It was like the dialogue of that episode was amazing. And in that episode, there was too much running through hallways. I wanted more conversation with the TARDIS. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's nice when they don't devolve just into sort of the standard Doctor Who tropes. I thought this was a very nice, and I yeah, maybe I'll get, get hate mail for saying, but that's what we like about Doctor Who. It's like, yeah, yeah but I like every once in a while when we, when we diverge from that and do something a little more like this. And as a writer myself... I love good dialogue, and I agree with you that this is this was very sharply written. I found myself laughing out loud at many points. I found myself invested in all these characters, and I I hope they bring uh, Catherine Trigena back for another episode at some point in the future because I thought she she nailed this one. I guess one last thing I would say, since I don't know if I'll be back or not, uh, I think this season's Peter Capaldi like it's like he's got it down better, or the writers understand how to write him better. I don't know what it is. But it feels feels more natural to me this year than last year. Yeah, I I agree as well. There were some really good episodes last year, but I felt like, um, yeah, this year it's his character is is still the best part of this, which is obviously of central importance. Um, and so I I I'm liking I'm liking him this season. I'm liking some of the episodes more than others. We'll see how we do with the next couple weeks. Uh, and I believe Mr. Snell will be back with another guest next week to talk about the Zygon invasion. But thank you very much, David Sparks, for being here. My pleasure. And thank you all for listening. Jason Snell will be back next week. I'm Dan Morin. See you later. Doctor Who Flashcast on the incomparable. Doctor Who.